0: I cannot wait to get into this passage. So let's do it. John chapter 1, starting at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law. And the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come, see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, Father, we thank you for your word. Would you uh, open up our hearts today? Would your spirit breathe on us that we might see Jesus, that we might see the Father because the spirit is in operation? Father, would you help me this morning? Um, Would you help me with uh, these allergies and all this light sensitivity stuff that I'm dealing with? Would you just help me to be clear-minded? Would you give me strength of voice And would you attune me um, to your spirit moving here in this place today? Lord, we love you. You're so good to us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the story before us today is about where they meet. And so I've called the sermon just that, where they meet. Today we hear of two apprentices of Jesus, Philip and Nathaniel, who meet Jesus. But there's something of a puzzle here in our passage today. There's something of a riddle that needs to be teased out and reveled in. See, there is a meeting here. There is a coming together in our story that's profound. And it's often missed because we don't know the larger context and flow of of the story, but when we see this meeting that takes place, it changes everything. So let's put on our detective hat, so to speak, and look at this puzzling and illuminating conversation between Jesus and this guy who is sitting under a fig tree. So our story picks up just after Jesus had invited three guys to come and be his apprentices. Okay, he has invited Andrew, John, and Peter to be with him to learn from him, to become like him. Now, our text takes place after meeting Peter, and we get this. Uh, It's written out up here, um, kind of in a conversation format. Uh, Pastor Laren and I were talking this past week, and he's like, you should write it out in a conversation format. So here we go. Thanks, Laren. Uh, Verse 43, the narrator says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. So, Jesus continues to invite his chosen apprentices to follow him. After all, he is a rabbi. Now, Jesus made up his mind to leave the area where John the baptizer was baptizing people and to go back home to Galilee. That's his headquarters. That's his home base for ministry for three years up by the Sea of Galilee because he had an appointment that he had to get to there. He was going to find Philip. It's a beautiful word. To find Philip. Philip. Jesus found him. You know, Jesus finds us, right? Amen. Jesus found you. He is the one who seeks. He's the one who saves. He's the, the hound of heaven. He's the benevolent hunter, right? He is the ultimate fisherman. He is the shepherd who goes and looks for the lost sheep. He finds us. And so Jesus goes and he finds us. This Philip, and he calls him to follow him. He says, follow me. Follow me. Now to follow Jesus does not just mean you merely have a bit of data in your head, some fact about Jesus. It's not merely to hold a theological opinion in your mind. It's not just to have a memory of one time 10, 15, 20 years ago, or maybe three months ago when you came forward and professed Jesus as your Savior in some church. It's to be united to Jesus by the power of his spirit to be in intimate union and relationship with him and therefore to abide with him, to be with him, to commune with him, to then obey him because you trust him and therefore become like him because he is transforming you by his presence with you. And here in our short text, we already see Philip following this Jesus, abiding with him, obeying him, and becoming like him. It's right here. Look at verse 44. Our narrator says, Now Philip was from Bethsaida. That's on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, let's pause right there. So there's a local connection. There's a local connection here with Andrew, Peter, and this Philip. They are all from the same small town. Now next, we see Philip do exactly what Andrew did last week. If you were here last week, you saw Jesus call Andrew, and then Andrew goes and he tells somebody about Jesus and says, come and see. He opens a circle. He widens the circle. He extends the same hospitality to others that Jesus had extended to him, and Philip does the same thing. So Jesus tells Philip, come, follow me, and Philip goes and finds someone else and says, you need to come and see this. Jesus, right? He's, he's already taking cues from his master. He is mirroring him. He's imaging him. He's inviting other people into the good and, and beautiful kingdom that God is, is breathing here on earth. And remember, by the way, followers of Jesus are those who are captivated by this Jesus, so much so that they're willing to look foolish and do seemingly stupid things, to invite people into communion with him, to share the joy, right? We get to share The joy. We are a come and see Jesus kind of people, right? Come and see Jesus in operation. Well, it continues on here. Philip says, we have found him. Kind of, right? Like Jesus found him, but he's already saying, I found him. We found him. And we do that all the time, right? I found Jesus. We found Jesus. We're seeking after God. Well, the only reason you're seeking after him anyway is because he has first sought you out, right? He finds us. We have found him, he says, him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip excitedly tells his friend, we found the guy, right? We found the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for, the hero who's going to save us. And it seems Nathaniel is a student of the scriptures. He's a bit of a Bible nerd, and apparently Philip, his friend, knows that. So he says it this way. He says, we found the one that the law and the prophets point us towards. Now, the law and prophets, that's a shorthand for all the Jewish scriptures. It's shorthand for the Old Testament, shorthand for the first two-thirds of your Bible, right? So before you get to Matthew, there's a bunch of books. We call it the Old Testament. It's it's the Hebrew scriptures. But a shorthand way of referring to all those books was the law and the prophets, what Moses wrote and what all, all the prophets wrote. So what he says is, our scriptures, all of them, From Genesis to Malachi, we found the one that they point to. And so as Philip points out, as Philip points out, the point of the scriptures is to point to the Savior who points to the Father. The point of the scriptures is to point to the Savior who is the Son of God, who points us to the Father. And see, whenever we read Scripture in a way that's outside the bounds of realizing that all the Scriptures point us to Jesus and Jesus points to the Father and reveals the Father by the power of the Spirit, whenever we're outside those bounds, we will distort the Scriptures and and we will import things into them that are, are not there. And so, as followers of Jesus, we want to read the Scriptures in this way. They point to the Savior who points us to the Father. Okay, now, Philip's excited. Philip is excited, but Nathanael is triggered, okay? Look at verse 46. I'm going to add a word. Seriously? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He scoffs, right? He scoffs. But Philip undeterred says, just come and see. Come and see. So Nathanael has some kind of prejudice in him, right? He has some kind of bigotry that's showing. And we find out at the end of the book of John in chapter 21 that Nathanael is from a small village called Cana. And Cana is a village over from Nazareth. They're both small towns. Nazareth is a small blip of a village. It's nowheresville. It's a podunk backwater town where nothing happens. And Nathanael knows that. And There's probably some like cross town or like a neighboring town rivalry. They have different colored letter jackets, right? Their teams went to state together and they fought each other. There's some kind of rivalry. There's there's something going on here. I don't know what it is, but he dismisses Philip because of the word Nazareth. He scoffs at the news of Jesus as the Messiah. And besides, he's a student of the scriptures. He knows the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. Right? The scriptures tell us that the Messiah will come, this king will come out of Bethlehem. So he knows his scriptures, but the reality is he just doesn't have all the facts. He's only seeing this much of the story. There's a bigger story because where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. So he doesn't see the big picture, but he will. So nonetheless, Philip is undeterred. He says, yeah, 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 yeah. Just come and see him with me, would you? Come and see. Come and see. But there's something we need to notice here. He says, come and see. Do you know what kind of statement that is? That is a with me kind of statement. Come and see with me. Come and see with me. It's not a go and see. Go and figure it out. I hope you come to the same conclusion. He says, come and see. Let's do this thing together. See, as followers of Jesus, as apprentices of Jesus, we accompany others on their journey of meeting this Jesus. We accompany others on their journey Of being with and following this Jesus. We are to talk to others about this Jesus, but not just send them on their way and just say, go and see, but come and see. There's a we included in this, there's a community included in this. This isn't just some abstraction exercise with throwing theology out there in the world, yelling truth at someone and say, go on and figure it out. Come and see. And the reality is, here's what's going to happen. In our excitement, in our, in our exuberance about who this Jesus is that we've met, you're going to tell people, <laughs> and they're not going to meet it with the same kind of excitement, right? There's some of you in here who are, who are newer to the faith, and it is beautiful to watch you just bubble over with the gospel, and you're telling everyone. And some people are not quite as excited about it as you, right? What you're telling them is met with cynicism, It's met with doubt and it's met with scoffing. And we should then invite those people to come with us instead of just write write them off. Just say, well, why don't you just come and see? Why don't you just come and see? Be with us. Experience this Jesus. Experience the love of the Christian community. The church is the body of Christ in operation in this world. And so are we doing that? Are we accompanying the skeptic? Are we accompanying the cynic? and the scoffer or are we just sending them on their way because they frustrated us come and see okay so jesus talks with philip philip talks with nathaniel he invites him to come and see and now nathaniel will have a puzzling and powerful conversation with jesus So stick with me here. We're going to work through a couple layers, okay? But it will all come together. So I'm going to lay out some puzzle pieces, and it might sound confusing at first. If you're confused, don't check out because these pieces will come together and show us something beautiful. So pick up at verse 47. The narrator says, When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael says, Well, how is it that you know me? And then Jesus says, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Okay. Nathaniel responds completely surprisingly. He, He goes from thinking Nazareth bum to... Son of God, Messiah, the King. Like, it's narrative whiplash. What in the world just happened? But we need to slow the tape down to see what is, what is going on. How? How did the Nazareth-triggered, skeptical Nathaniel go from being incredulous to being astonished and believing that Jesus is the Messiah? How? How did he go from never and no way to you're the one? Like I said, it's, it's like a narrative whiplash, but our author writes it this way to shock us into engagement with the text, to have us ask the question, what just happened? To draw us in, that we might peer into the text, that we might meditate on it and chew on it to, to pull out the truth that is within it. So something happens between verses 46 and 49. I mean, you can even write a little question mark between those verses in your Bible. Like, there's something that happens here. What What is happening between 46 and 49? Something that turns a skeptic into an apprentice. Jesus says something that astounds him, but what in the world is it? So a couple of the pieces here. First, Jesus sees him coming and he says, there's no deceit in this guy. You could also translate it, there's no manipulation. There's no guile in this guy. He is a true Israelite. And to that, He's met with a, wait, how in the world do you know me? So Jesus says this one simple sentence, and then this guy's like, wait, how do you, how do you know me? What Jesus just said means something profound to Nathaniel. Why? What? It's good to ask questions of Scripture as we read along and not just kind of read on and blitz and move through it, but to ask, like, wait, what is, what is going on? Slow down and think through it. Ask the Spirit to lead you and guide you as you're processing through the Scriptures. So this is great. I mean, I like it. Anyway, it's like a detective story. Like, what is happening? What is happening here? It's a puzzle. So we have two clues in here, two words. Those two words are Israelite and deceit. So hold on to those, okay? Israelite and deceit. Hold on to those two words here for a few moments. Israelite and deceit. What are the words? Israelite and deceit. Awesome. Next, Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, what what does this mean? Well, this is where some cultural context will help us out. There is a Jewish idiom that helps us to understand this. The fig tree was a common place for prayer. Sitting under a fig tree was a common place for young rabbinic students, for Bible nerds like Nate. We'll call him Nate here. Um, It's a place where they would go and they would sit, study, pray, think. Students of the Torah and of rabbis would often sit under fig trees because of the shade, right? Fig trees have big leaves, right? They provided easy-to-eat sweet fruit. You just like Genesis, Leviticus, fig, eat, snack, keep going, right? Over time, under the fig tree became an idiom for one who sits under the shade of a rabbi's teaching of the Torah, enjoying the sweet fruit of his instruction and his wisdom. So, it seems that Jesus had some supernatural knowledge of Nathanael studying the scriptures, praying, meditating under the shade of a fig tree. And, and in the original language here it says the fig tree. It's the definitive article. He's saying the fig tree. You know, your fig tree, the one you go to. I know about it. I know what happens there. And again, think about it. The big fat leaves of a fig tree are invaluable in the hot sun of the Middle East. Sitting under the shade of a fig tree can drop the temperature 10 to 15 degrees. And when it's 105 out there and it's dry a 10 to 15 degree differential in temperature will allow you to study Leviticus just a little bit longer, okay? I mean, we don't study in sometimes. I mean, it's like, you know, 65 degrees in our air conditioning, right? Could it be that Jesus knew something besides he was just sitting under that tree? So here, I want to do this. I want to be clear. I'm going to make a speculation, okay? This isn't preaching right now. Okay? This is speculation, but I'm going to call it well-informed theological deduction, because that sounds smart. Okay? Um, I can't prove it, and I won't preach it as 100%, but if you don't mind, I'm going to venture a guess why Nathaniel is so astounded. Could it be that Jesus not only supernaturally knew that Nate was meditating under a fig tree, but he supernaturally knew exactly what he was studying and praying about? I think so. Okay, remember our two words? Israelite and deceit. deceit. Those are words that point us to a story in the Old Testament. Israelites are called Israelites after one of their ancestors, a guy named, yeah, Jacob, Israel. So here's the deal. Let's do this real quick. If you go back in the story rewind the tape a long ways. You go back in the story, God is going to make for himself a people out of the brokenness of the world. And he's going to make himself a people out of a family. And God's going to bless this family and through this family will come blessings to the entire world. So we have Abraham. We have Isaac. We have Jacob. We have the 12 sons. And we have the 12 Tribe. So God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, which is in Iraq, Mesopotamia. He calls him to be a man set apart from the world, to trust in him. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, and those 12 sons will become the 12 tribes, and those 12 tribes will be the nation of Israel. So they're called Israelites because they are, you know, from the lineage of the line of Israel. So this guy, Jacob, his name literally means deceiver or manipulator or schemer. And this guy, Jacob, this deceiver, uh, he does does a bunch of shady stuff. We don't have time to get into it today. But um, he does a bunch of shady stuff. Then he eventually runs away from his brother because his brother wants to kill him. And eventually God will rename this guy named Jacob. He'll transform him from the inside out. He's going to rename him Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. So it seems to me that Nathaniel was meditating on, praying about Jacob and his story. Why? Just because it says Israelite and deceiver? There's more, right? Because our story sets, up, sets us up for this incredible reveal to the puzzle. So let's puzzle the pieces together here. Look at verse 50. This is the punchline. Jesus says, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Is that all it takes? Man, you're going to see greater things than these. I'm about to blow your mind. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Period. Done. <laughs> what? That's cryptic. What does it mean? All right, let's walk through this. Jesus says, you believe because I saw you under the fig tree and, and I knew what you were doing there. But just wait. Something's coming, man. Something, something better than you could have dreamed about. In fact, something Jacob did dream about. You are going to see angels going up and down on me like a staircase. Boom, end of the passage. Like, what? Like That's weird, right? Anyone? That's, that's bizarre. Okay. This next bit is not speculation on my part. This is going to be preaching, okay? <laughs> it's clear in the text. Jesus has just referenced the story that is often called Jacob's ladder. Israelite, deceit, Jacob. Now the ladder with the angels going up and down. It's clear what's going on. The text that is between them is in this dialogue is the story of Jacob. So imagine this. It's kind of silly, but imagine you're at like some Comic-Con meeting or something. Okay? There's two people. They see each other, then they walk up to each other, and one of them starts talking to the other one, and they start using words like carbonite, Jabba, right? Ewoks. You know what's going on, right? There's, it's like a code between them. They're talking in story. What movie is the fuel for their conversation? Okay, not just Star Wars, but yeah, Return of the Jedi, right? Okay, good. we got some nerds in here too. Okay. See, the Bible story that reveals this profound truth and makes sense of this, this puzzling conversation is the story of Jacob and his dream. So let's read a bit of it to understand something amazing, to understand something that's life-changing for us and is not just going back 2,000 years ago looking at something that happened, but looking at what will happen in us now and changes our entire future. Okay. So turn left in your Bible. To Genesis chapter 28. Turn left. If you're new to the Bible, go back to the very first book and go to chapter 28. Genesis 28 and pick up at verse 10. This is the story of Jacob on the run because he's done all these shady things. And now he's going to have this dream where God reveals a vision to him. Okay? So I'll pick up at Genesis 28 verse 10. Here's what it says. Jacob left. That means he ran away from home. He left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He's going north and then going east. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. It's been a long day of traveling. He's tired. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, the author saying, look. Really look at what I'm about to tell you. Look, there was a ladder. Hebrew word there is sulam. There's a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Or the messengers of God were ascending and descending on it. Okay. So what's going on here? Well, Jacob's on the lamb, right? Life threatened. He's running. He's alone. He's tired. He's been running all day. He sleeps on a rock. And God gives him a dream to reveal something profound. So what is it that he sees? What well, can I show you? I have, I have a, real, a real pick. Jacob's Ladder, okay? Now, don't think of this, okay? Don't think Home Depot or Lowe's. That is, that is not what's going on here. Think this. Think Stairway. Think Mesopotamia. Think Babylon. The Hebrew word here is not ladder. It means a steeped, or excuse me, a stepped ramp that is steep. A staircase. It means a staircase. One that would be the way up to the heavens. And this is pointing us towards a cultural context piece of the day. It's pointing us towards a ziggurat. So what's a ziggurat? Besides a real fun word to say. A ziggurat was a temple tower. So let's go to that next pick. This is the same one. A ziggurat is a temple tower, a sacred place. It was a place where heaven met earth, a stairway to heaven. It was a man-made mountain, a place where the people of Babylon and Mesopotamia would go to meet with their gods, would go to the high place where heaven and earth met to be with the divine, to find peace, to find prosperity, to find blessing, to be reunited with their gods. Now this one, by the way, has been excavated in Iraq, and this is in a place called Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, this is mind-blowing. Just Side side note here. This is over 4,000 years old. This was built around 2100 BC. Abraham lived about 2000 BC. The likelihood that this was where Abraham went and worshipped, that Abraham's eyeballs looked upon these bricks, is like astronomically high. He's from this area, but God pulled him out. And the fact that one of his grandchildren is now having a dream, man, so good, okay. So Jacob sees something like a ziggurat with angels going up and down that staircase. And who's at the top of it? God himself, look at verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. So that's the land promise of Israel, the holy land. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. A blessing is going to come through his family. Okay, family promise. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to the land, for I will not leave you until I have done that. I have promised you. This is God speaking from the stairway up there. That's the personal presence promise there. Then verse 16, con- continues on. We get the response. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. In other words, this is the place where heaven and earth meet. Okay. Now we have another really important piece to the conversation before us. So let's make sure we get this and pull this together. ziggurat. A ziggurat is a stairway to heaven. It was a place in the ancient minds where heaven and earth met, a sacred mountain where humanity would dwell with God, where the priest would walk up that stairway in procession to go up and meet with God. It's sacred architecture that was all about the reunion of heaven and earth. And this is why Jesus makes reference to this. The dream of the place where heaven and earth meet, where God meets with humanity. Do you see what Jesus is doing in this conversation with Nathanael? He tells Nathanael, you're blown away because I saw you under the fig tree? He says, I am the stairway. I am the place where heaven and earth will meet. I am the place where God and humanity meet. This whole story, what you've been studying and meditating on, it all points to me. Jesus is the one it points to. He's the stairway to heaven. He is a temple where God and his people meet. Jesus is the gate of heaven. Jesus is the house of God. He is the only way to union with God the Father. Later in John chapter 14 verse 5, it says, I am the way. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one ascends to heaven. There is no connection between heaven and earth besides through me. It's only through Jesus. In Jesus we meet God. Jesus opens the heavens that have been shut because of sin. And so see, there are two ways now to look at this. There are two ways to look at how it is that we connect with reality, how it is that we have relationship with God. There's going up and there's coming down. I want to explain this. We, we sense in our hearts that there's something wrong with the world. <laughs> like we, just, we turn on the news, we open up our news feed, and we're like, the world's broken. We sense that there's something wrong with the world, and we know our own story. We know what's within us. We sense that there's something fundamentally wrong wrong with us. We sense that there's a rupture, that there's a a divorce, and so we reach for the stars. All the religions, in some way, shape, or form, are reaching for the stars, trying to reconnect heaven and and earth, trying to gain peace by some kind of reconciliation with with ultimate reality. So we seek after the divine, whether it's a ziggurat or whether it's, it's, it's meditation, yoga meditation. We're trying to find some way to reconnect things. There's a longing for restoration and renewal in the human heart. And so there's two ways to go about it. Either we work our way up to God, we do, we work, we perform, we achieve, we accomplish. We impress God and we make our way to heaven, proving our worth, climbing up some stairway to heaven of our own design. But it's futile. Our little Home Depot ladders will only go so high and they will fall over. The other option is we trust in the gospel. And the gospel is the opposite movement. The gospel is that heaven comes down. Because the disruption of humanity from our creator is no small thing. It's a massive cosmic and scope break. Our sin has damaged our entire being. We are not as we ought to be if we are not in peace with our creator. If we are not in proper relationship. So our hearts are out of socket. Our souls are are disintegrated. We can't save ourselves, right? We cannot save ourselves any more than a dead man can give himself CPR. We need heaven to come down. We need a savior who can bring together heaven and earth. We need a divine one who can do what we cannot do, who can work out what we cannot work out, who can perform a salvation that we cannot perform. We need him to achieve a reconciliation that we cannot achieve. We need a savior to accomplish a victory we cannot accomplish. We need a mediator to unite what we cannot unite, what we have torn apart in ourselves sick ways. And so Jesus came down to fulfill the law of love. And heaven and earth met and there was reunion between heaven and earth as Jesus hung between heaven and earth on a cross that we deserved. And on that cross between heaven and earth, acting like this Glorious bridge, we see the love of God on display and the justice of God on display because He got what we deserved. And he gives us what He deserved. Then He rose from the dead. And he breathes his spirit into our very bodies that we, as his church, might now be the place where heaven and earth meet because Jesus abides within us. Because of Jesus' spirit, because he is with us, the church, the body of Christ, his people, we are now where heaven and earth meet. And so you get to be the presence of heaven because the spirit is within you when you walk into the coffee shop that you barista at. When you walk into the office, into your cubicle, where you feel like sometimes your life is meaningless, you're the very breath of heaven because the spirit of Christ is moving in you. And you are his son or daughter. See, look, ziggurats, ziggurats are just just buildings of brick that spoke to our deep longing. But Jesus is the builder of everything, the creator who comes and changes everything with his sacrificial love. This Jesus is the one that was promised to Jacob in that dream the one that would come through his family line, be born, and bless all the world. So to sum it up, heaven and earth meet in Jesus. Heaven and earth meet in Jesus. In Jesus, we meet God. So I just want to ask you this in closing. Have you really given up your physically exhausting soul fatiguing, striving? Have you given up the insane quest of climbing up the stairway to heaven that you have designed or that you have imbibed from the brokenness of culture that says if you just work a little bit harder, if you just show you're smarter than the person next to you or more beautiful or you provide more, more meaning, if you provide something greater to the community, then maybe you'll be accepted. If maybe you can live up to the voice in your head of your mother or your father who who said you'll never amount to anything, then maybe, maybe you'll be okay. Have you given up striving after those things? Have you laid down your striving to prove you're someone? Laid down your striving to prove that you're worthy of love? Have you laid down your striving to make yourself valuable and wanted? Have you stopped striving to save yourself? And like Nathaniel, because of the presence of Jesus that was there with him. Have you called Jesus the Son of God, the King of the world, the Messiah, and followed him into a new way of inhabiting the world? Heaven and earth meet in Jesus, and in Jesus we meet God. So friends, whatever fig tree that you are under, striving for whatever it is that you're striving for, maybe it takes the shape of, grades. A 4.2 isn't good enough for you. You need a 4.5. It's Pleasanton after all. Or maybe, maybe you need the bigger home and, and the bigger car or the bigger boat. Or maybe you just need to outdo people in arguments regarding worldview. Or maybe it's the, the perfect body. Whatever it is, whatever you're striving for, whatever fig tree you are under, know this, please. Like he sees you. He knows your hurts, uh, your wounds of family origin. He knows your broken ways of thinking about what the good life is. He sees you. He knows you. And he's made a way. He has made a way. He knows what you need. He has opened heaven through his life, his death, his resurrection, and ascension. He is where they meet in Jesus. We meet God. You want to meet God? Do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to know where heaven meets earth? Come and see Jesus. Come and see. Heavenly Father, you're amazing. You're amazing. Your word is precious to us. Father, like a a young child, we can wade into the waters and be refreshed and, and, and enjoy and play in the scriptures, but there's depths Lord, as you call us to meditate by the power of your spirit, to look into these passages where our soul is as filled as we get to see the nuance and the intricacies and the beauty and the tight weave of what you're doing in this world. Thank you for your word. God, would you make us a people who are just hungry for it, who, who devour it? Not because we want more knowledge, but because we want more of you. And we want to gaze upon you. And we want to look at your beauty. And we want it to transform us so that we're like you would it be so. Thank you for your word, and we thank you that we can now come to this table where we taste of your grace, where we commune with you through the elements. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.